Hello, my friends, and welcome back. <laughs> and I say welcome back like you've been somewhere. When in real life, it's been me that has been missing in action. But you know, sometimes in life, things come up that you must, you must put a priority to. And although I've just been hitting you sparsely, I've been missing you tremendously. And today, when I turned on this mic and ran through the tests, I could not help but get a smile on my face because I realized I was exactly where I was supposed to be talking to you. Not just fans of me, but fans of our people and the desire to want to know more. And you know what? It just so happens that today starts the 11th season of Black History Moments with Bo. Now, take into mind, there's 20 stories in each season. So I'll let you do the math. The library is there. Look, listen, and learn. Tonight, I'm going to sit down and watch Denver play Miami in the NBA championships. But this morning, I'm going to tell you about the first all-black professional basketball team. So buckle up, my friends, because we're getting ready to slip into darkness. You know, America's most professional basketball team that was more accomplished and talked about than any team in the history of the game was the New York Wrens. And it was an African-American-owned all-black team based in Harlem during that era of segregated basketball teams. And it won the first world championship of basketball in 1939. You see, in the United States during the first half of the 20th century, Jim Crow laws were still meant to humiliate African Americans, and it was still in place in a large parts of the country. And sports was the same as any other aspect of life for African Americans. And that meant blacks could compete against each other for color championships and occasionally against whites when the intent was to stimulate ticket sales by stimulating audiences with black versus white contests. But blacks were never permitted to compete against whites for national championship, which put more money and white pride at stake. And you know, that system kept black athletes on one side of the divide, barnstorming for limited compensation while whites on the other side collected high salaries and big payoffs. You see, my friends, the name barnstorming comes from the ideal of going from barn to barn to play games in rural and semi-rural areas. Now, the games were never really played in a barn, but that's where the name comes from. You see, the NBA did not come into existence until 1946. So prior to that, If you were a good player, the big money was in barnstorming. And although some leagues did exist in the Northeast and Midwest, 
they were tattered and not really well organized, and the money was not great. And because of that, leagues would only last a few years and fold. Then new leagues would pop up and also fold. So players couldn't do nothing but jump from league to league. And it was just a mess. And because of that, the barnstorming tour existed. Now, this is the way that it usually happened. A local businessman with a little money would form a team of six or eight players. That guy would usually become the manager, the coach, and the traveling secretary. Then you would go from town to town challenging the locals at a game. Usually these games were scheduled ahead of time, but sometimes the team would literally drive into town and say something like, hey, put your best team together and let's play. And the locals were usually agreeable. And they would usually use the high school gym or maybe an armory or a local theater. They would charge admission and split the profits with the home team. A lot of times they agreed that the winners would get 60% and the losers would get 40 That was enough money that it usually ensured a good hard-fought game because the winners got a little bit extra cash. Then they'd do it again in the next town. Most of these teams would schedule anywhere from 100 to 130 games per year. And maybe, just maybe, that's how the NBA schedules so many games a year today. Because that would put a lot of wear and tear on their bodies. And it wasn't like they had a trainer because they had to tape themselves (laughs) if there was any tape available. So if they had gauze or bandage, they would just tightly wrap it around whatever part that was hurting and go and play. But you see, segregation didn't mean a damn thing to Bob Douglas. He was a West Indian who moved to New York in 1909 at the age of 19. And he had an entrepreneurial spirit that seemed to be more common among black Caribbean immigrants than it was amongst African-American who had gone north as part of the Great Migration. But the ambition and success of West Indian business people bred its own brand of discrimination and resentment from Harlem neighbors who refused to patronize their businesses. Now, this dude had to overcome the prejudices of both white America and black Harlem. Douglas transitioned to the professional ranks by forging a deal with a fellow West Indian by the name of William Roach. And he had erected the Renaissance Casino and Ballroom in Harlem. And Douglas agreed to pay Roach a significant percentage of the ticket revenue in exchange for practicing and playing space. That's when he also changed the name of the team from the Spartan Braves to the Renaissance Big Five, providing advertisement for the facility which also was housing a casino and one of the finest ballrooms in Harlem, including a theater and Harlem's only black department store. So on Saturday night, now, the Wrens could play the best teams in basketball. Portable baskets were situated at either end of the dance floor and folding chairs were set up for the spectators. Now, on November the 3rd, 1923, Douglas's new team 
beat the hell out of a all-white collegiate five, 28 to 22. And when the game ended, the baskets came down and an orchestra filled the ballroom with music and fans dressed in formal gowns and suits then danced for hours. The Wrens were the first black-owned, full-salaried, black professional basketball team. And time proved the Wrens were no joke because they constantly sold out their home games. And they often played white teams because those race games brought large crowds to the casino. And in that process, the Wrens developed an ongoing rivalry with the best team in professional basketball, the original Celtics. But you see, what made the Wrens unique among barnstorming teams is that they were an all-black team. And the best teams they had were in the 1920s and 30s. Back then, Harlem was the place to be. Because if you've ever seen the movie Harlem Nights with Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor, then you will have a good idea of what Harlem was like back then. There was a real black middle class. Black businesses were booming. It was the Roaring Twenties. And from this environment came the Wrens. But also back then, players of color were not allowed to play in the professional leagues of their day. It was not like baseball where separate leagues existed for black players. There was no such league for basketball players. If you were not a white player, then you had to find a different way of making your money because playing in the existing professional leagues was simply not going to happen. But things weren't that bad back then. It is that the Wrens had no trouble scheduling a game. Hardly any of the white teams actually had any problem playing against the Wrens. Today, we would call these games exhibition. They did not count toward any standings, and there were no playoffs at the end of the season. They just scheduled as many games as they could, collect their share of the ticket sales, and move on. Like I said before, the white teams had no problem playing the Wrens. In fact, they loved playing against the Wrens because when they played the Wrens, you played the best. And when the best teams play each other, you can sell a lot of tickets. And back then, just like today, if you think you are the best in your sport, you want to play against the best. It doesn't matter what color their skin was. In fact, the only color that really mattered to most of the people involved was green, as in money. And their reputation preceded them. The Wrens were known among basketball fans nationwide as one of the best teams in the world. But you can imagine traveling through most of these areas required a bit of finesse. Many white fans had no problem paying for a ticket to see this amazing team from New York play. But that same team was not allowed to stay in the white hotels in town. That was only for white players because Jim Crow was alive and well even then. The Wrens wound up staying in roadside motels that allowed black guests. Or in most cases, the players would end up staying in the homes of local black families if no hotel in the area allowed them. There was a known network of black families willing to house black players when they traveled through their town. That is how we looked out for each other back then, my friends. 
and you could forget about eating in a restaurant when they were on the road. Usually, they had to stop at a black-owned grocery store to buy bread, bologna, and maybe some sodas or beer. Then they would just make sandwiches in the car as they drove. And sometimes, if they were lucky, they might find a restaurant willing to serve them to go orders through the back door. And that was about as good as they were going to get until they returned to Harlem. In Harlem, they were celebrities who could eat and stay wherever they wanted. Now, there was one formal competition that was open to all teams, regardless of color. It was the World Pro Tournament held in Chicago each year. It was sort of a World Cup-style tournament where the best teams from all over the country would show up for this. It was a guaranteed sellout at the old Chicago Stadium, where they could pack that place with up to 15,000 fans for a game. And the further you made it in the tournament, the more money you got paid. The Wrens won that tournament in 1939 and could officially call themselves the best team in the world. The Wrens played their last game in 1949 before folding. The NBA had been established for several years and had proved to be the first truly stable professional basketball league. The money was pretty good, so it attracted the best players to play in it. And you know what? They also allowed black players to play in the league. So there was no longer a guarantee that the Wrens could get the best black players. Just about the same thing that the NCAA did for allowing black players to play in Southern colleges that killed the HBCUs from getting the best black players. The NBA had taken over, and the barnstorming area was done. Except for one team from that era that is still playing today. Just one. Around the late 40s, they saw what was coming, so they decided to add more comedy to their game. They turned their basketball games into a basketball-themed comedy show. They had to. It was either adapt or go out of business. That team is the Harlem Globetrotters. My goal, my friends, is for us to remember one of the greatest professional teams from the first 50 years of the game. The New York Renaissance should never be forgotten. Pop Gates, Willie Lee Smith, and Tarzan Cooper were some of the marquee players of the Wrens and their contribution to basketball has been largely forgotten, which is why I do this, to keep our contributions to the game alive. They established a style that many teams copied, and that was a good thing. Rest in peace, my brothers, because your game will never be forgotten, and you are no longer in the darkness. My friends, it is so good to be back with you. And I hope this story puts a little glide in your stride because it is fact. It is hidden fact. But before I go, I have this message for you. I am stronger because I had to be. I am smarter because of my mistakes. 
happier because of the sadness I've known and now wiser because I have learned. And the next level of your life will demand a different version of you. My friends, have a good day. Until next time, I guarantee you it's been my pleasure and my honor. <laughs>